Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today, we are joined by Amy Phillips. Hello, Amy. Hi. Let's get started with our first question, which is, Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay, I'm currently a private piano teacher. I teach in my home and I also teach at a Christian private school one day a week teaching private lessons there. Um, I currently have 34 students and the way I started um, music actually, I started taking piano lessons when I was six years old. It was just one of those things that the girls in my family just did. We took piano lessons. My older sister took piano lessons. My mom was a pianist. My grandma was a pianist. My great grandmother played like the organ for church. It was just very much what we did. Um, my sister actually is the one who inspired me. She's seven years older than I am and I wanted to be her. So she would be practicing the piano and I would come behind her. She told me this in later years, which is why she quit. I would just come and play these pieces by ear that she had been like laboring over and she got so frustrated with me. I'm glad she didn't tell me that when I was younger, but I just continued with lessons and um, I did some competitions in high school and um, got first place a couple of times, which was pretty, pretty fun. And um, I studied music in my first teacher was in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then we moved to England for three years. I studied music in England. I had a very nice lady um, who came to our house actually and taught lessons, which was super nice. Um, and then we moved to Waynesboro. And then from there, I took piano lessons from um, Rosalind Floyd from Augusta State University. And I studied with her from seventh grade through college, which is I graduated from Augusta University with a degree in music education and a minor in piano. Um, while in college, I, uh, my freshman year, I became a single mom. So I worked really, really hard to graduate and get a job as soon as possible. So when I graduated, I was 22 and fortunately was able to teach in the public schools for three years. Um, I taught pre-K my first year and then general music pre-K through fifth grade for two years. And um, also during that time, I was the church pianist and choir accompanist at the Baptist church where I lived. And then um, about five years after being at that church, I was asked to be the, the worship leader. So I did the worship music for the morning and evening praise teams. And we had a band that I kind of organized in addition to um, accompanying the choir and playing um, the hymns and stuff for church, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, so being a music teacher in the town that I lived in and being at the church pianist, I, I was known for playing the piano and I lived in kind of a small town. So while teaching school and while um, working at the church part-time, I had just people ask me, hey, can you teach my, my child piano lessons? I was like, okay, sure. So I carved out couple afternoons after I worked and it just became 
I just got so much interest and I was getting a bit burned out, honestly, working at the church, working full time as a teacher, coming home and teaching two or three um, afternoons a week. And plus, I was a single mom with a house. So I was extremely exhausted. I don't know how I survived, <laughs> but I guess because I was just young and dumb and I just kept going. But um, so anyway, um, thankfully, I got so many students on my waiting list that I was able to quit teaching public school and just teach privately full time out of my house, which gave me more time during the day to do household stuff like grocery shopping and um you know, laundry, cleaning the house or some yard work or bill paying, which typically I would do, you know, pretty late into the evening. So I felt really um, blessed by that. And then um, about when I, I joined GMTA in 2014, and I am um, currently the, the, the president of AMTA, Augusta Music Teachers Association. And um, and very proud to be the secretary of GMTA this year. Um, and I recently moved to a bigger town um, about a year and a half, two years ago, roughly. And so I basically had to start over. Um, and thankfully, um, I was able to start over. I did carry two of my old students from, because I only moved an hour away, but an hour can seem like you know, really long time. So, but two of my students uh, from the town that I taught in previously stuck with me and I'm so thankful for that. But my other students, my other 32 students I've had for two years or less. So it's been kind of um, an exciting journey learning all of these new families and um, names of the students. I've only called the students wrong names a couple of times. <laughs> um, but then they quickly correct me and they're very forgiving, which is nice. But, and then 20 of my students have actually been taking for less than a year. So, um, you know, teaching everyone from scratch was, was very, was very difficult, very, very hands-on, very time consuming, but um, it's also, it's also nice to kind of groom the students how you want them, to, you know, try to give them the best foundation that I possibly can. So, and that's what I'm doing now. So I'm happily teaching privately in my home and at the at a Christian school downtown. So. I think your life story brings up an interesting aspect of being a private teacher, which is the problem that might potentially arise when you move. Um, frequently people move because they already have a job lined up and so there is financial guarantee and stability but when a private teacher moves it's like starting your own business from scratch and there's no guarantee of income until you build it back up. How did you make that calculation and was it difficult? Um, was it scary for you or were you confident enough that you would be able to build up your studio again? Um, that's a wonderful question. When we when we first moved um, here, it was the spring, late spring of 2019, and um, at, at that time I felt okay. I can slowly build, you know, build it up. And we had some savings, so I knew it wasn't like you know we wouldn't eat if I didn't. Or I, I did have a few. I did like have a handful of students. Um, and but then um, then COVID hit in 2020, so I. 
I think about springtime of 2020, I honestly um, was a little bit worried, but um, my husband was just very encouraging. And we have this neighborhood magazine, actually, just, and my husband submitted an email to the, to the magazine and kind of told, kind of told our story because he, he's a violinist and he's excellent. So just kind of like, you know, two musicians coming into the, and they, they liked our story enough to interview. So um, that kind of got my name out there. So I don't honestly know if I could have built my studio without the publicity of the magazine, as that really kind of pushed me forward. But um, word of mouth, you know, Facebook, things get around. I'm on the local homeschool group because I just ended up teaching a student who's who ended up being homeschooled because of COVID. So she got involved in the Facebook group and then recommended me, you know, it's just they say word of mouth is the best, but I, I must say like the magazine probably was the thing that like solidified, solidified me. So I know not everyone has, has that luxury of having, you know, a local magazine that they can be featured in. So I do, I do really am thankful. I, I really do feel like that it was just God's blessing and nothing that I necessarily did. So I want to backtrack a little bit. You talked, you know, um, you gave us a great narrative of your journey from childhood now to adulthood. Um, I want to ask you about your teachers. Do you have a favorite memory of any of your teachers um, through from your childhood through college? Well, I enjoyed all of my teachers very much. And this is um, not even a very musical memory of, of one of my teachers, but for some reason, this is what sticks out when you ask me this question. The lady who came to our house in England to teach me piano lessons, she was a wonderful lady. And um, um, I think my dad ended up backing into her car because she was parked behind and he just wasn't aware of it because she'd only come once a week. And, he, she just, and then she, for some reason, she didn't even care about wanting to get it fixed. And my dad felt so bad and I was so embarrassed. So that's, that's my memory. <laughs> Great. Thank you for sharing that. There might be parents out there who have had the same experience. Um, what was practicing like for you as a child? You talked about imitating your sisters at the piano, um, but once you really got started with lessons, were you self-motivated or did you have parental guidance? I was very self-motivated. Um, we had one TV and one telephone in the house. It's telephone with a cord. So I would have to be told to not practice. Like, Amy, can you stop playing the piano? So no, no motivation issues. When I was in middle school, I did have a period where I wanted to quit and I almost did. And I didn't take it real seriously. I just was involved. I wanted to be with my friends and play sports. And, you know, piano was just not fitting into my social mold. But I just, my, my mom just encouraged me to keep at it. So I don't think I made much progress um, in middle school, but I stuck with it. So therefore that, you know, that helped. Yeah. Can, can I ask how you decided to be a musician, how you decided to be a teacher? You talked about majoring in music in college. So at some point you made that decision. I assume you had other options that were available to you. I knew I wanted to do something in music because they say you don't choose music, music chooses you. <laughs> That's what they say. And I firmly believe that, but um, so, you know, like I said, I was a single mom. So I was just looking for the, the quickest way to get on my feet. And that was to become a teacher in some capacity, like a public school teacher. So that's why I went into education. And it's just, um, it just sort of evolved. 
being a piano teacher is something that I, you know, kind of dreamt about doing when I was younger, but I just didn't think that it was possible for a single woman to do. Um, it just seemed um, like something that older women did with husbands who had a lot of money. And I know that's a real, that's just a bad thing that I had in my mind. And I knew I couldn't be a college professor. I couldn't have afforded to go to school to do, to go that far. It, yeah, it just, it just kind of worked, just, just evolved. I didn't set out to be a piano teacher, no. Describe your journey as a teacher. Um, how has your teaching changed throughout your career? And who or what have been your key influences in your evolution as a teacher? Okay. Um, well, I can say that I've grown the most as a teacher since I've been a part of AMTA and GMTA. Just being around other teachers at our meetings, um, even if the topic is not something that I was interested in, I just just talking with the other teachers, you, you know, you just kind of feed off each other and get ideas and you're inspired to be better. So my most of my growth came after that. When I first started, um, I was I was very, very young when I first started teaching. So I remember feeling extraordinarily intimidated by the parents and also not having that much confidence in myself because I was only like maybe nine or years older than some of these kids that I was teaching. So I was kind of like, you know, how much can I know? You know, I'm not that much older than they are. But so um, through the years and being, you know, being a parent myself of, of two, um, I've learned confidence because I know, I know now how to talk to the parents because I want, I talk to the parents how I would want to be talked to, you know, so I think that has helped. And I'm just much more confident and assertive with my students, like um, more firm, but not in a, not in a, you know, a, not like a dictatorship type thing, but I'm just more confident that therefore they, they can learn more because I'm keeping us on track. And yeah, I would say that's the, my biggest thing that I've learned in the last 22 years of teaching is I've just gained confidence, and I think that's really helped. So a lot of teachers, um, their schedule fluctuates throughout the school year and then certainly change quite dramatically during the summer because students go on vacation, and that can be problematic for some teachers, losing students, students that go on vacation and then never return. Um, what do you do to tackle this issue during your summers? Okay, that's a great question. Um, a couple years back, I um, came up with this, this idea to offer a summer lesson package. So for June and July, I chose eight weeks to teach. I took one week off for vacation. So then that left eight weeks. So if students chose eight lessons, it didn't have to be, I teach two days a week in the summer. Let me go back. I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, you know, you can choose eight lessons. If you, then you get a pretty significant discount. It's basically like, I, it's like giving, getting a lesson for free. If they sign up for seven lessons, they get a little bit less of a discount and they sign up for six lessons, just a, a tiny discount. So that's encouraging them to sign up for six or more and then they have to prepay, which it, it helps. That helps in so many ways because if a parent prepays, this, they are much more likely to show up for the lesson. And that's what we really want as teachers. We don't, 
really want that two month gap because you know they're probably not going to practice <laughs> if they're not coming to their lessons some of them will but it's kind of rare and um so and then if they have you know if there's five or less lessons and they just kind of pay by the lesson but it all has to be in advance and i found that that has worked excellent and then um you know if something comes up last minute they've already prepaid and then you as a teacher are not like oh what do I, you know, I've already made arrangements for this time. And um, so I, I feel like it's just a win-win and I've had great success with that in the last four years. So. Right. It sounds like that is something that helps um, teachers have some sense of financial stability as well, which mm -hmm. is frequently an issue during the summer months for a lot of private studio teachers. I want to move on to student and student growth. What would you say is the balance between talent and work ethic in a student when it comes to determining success for them? Okay, that's a great question. I've had students who are who are very talented, but they were um, they were lazy. But the I that's just that's a really tough question. Um, I think you really need to have both, but I think. Um, work ethic, I would say is probably 60 to 70 where talent is the other. Because mm -hmm. if you, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the work ethic and the discipline to practice and, you know, you're only going to go so far. And um, what advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? What role do parents play in their child's musical development? Okay. Um, I think early on when they're young, you know, elementary school, like the primary year, second grade and under, I would say it's very important for the parents to encourage their students to practice and, you know, try to cheer them on when they're at home and bring them to lessons on time. Make sure they have their books and materials when they get there and just be, just present it like, you know, oh, we get to go to piano today, you know, it's just, and then I think after that, they might, the children might need, the students might need gentle reminders, but I think if they have to constantly be um, forced to practice, maybe that's just not, not their thing. So I don't, I don't think, you know, the helicopter parent thing is real effective, because I think if, if my parents had forced me to practice, I think it might've actually kind of turned me off of piano, but. Tell me about um, some of the biggest teaching challenges that you have faced. How did you overcome them? One of the most frustrating things is when the students don't practice and you have to go over the same material week after week. Um, so what I've learned to do is I, during those lessons, I try not to get frustrated, but I do, um, I do write in my book, actually, each time they don't practice, I write in, in where I take notes of each student. So if, if there's a long um, track record of them not practicing that I've made note of, I will contact the parents. And, and that usually helps actually just the threat of, if you don't practice, someone have to call your mom or email your mom this week. Oh, okay. And they, that usually whips them into shape. But another effective thing besides that is um, I try to teach them how to practice. So we might spend the lesson practicing 
that piece and that that seems to be effective it sounds like uh your your life and your career has undergone quite a lot of change in the last few years what do you see um as your future in the next two to five years what are your plans for yourself um, that's a great question because I'm finally just getting on my feet again. So it's hard for me to think about the, the future. I would, I would love to continue teaching. I would, um, if the opportunity arose, um, help develop some type of curriculum or teaching tools to help other teachers or maybe like mentor students um, who are interested in becoming piano teachers of their own. I actually have um, three or four of my previous students from the town I lived in before, they actually went on to either study music or teach piano lessons. So I was, I mean, I was encouraged by that. What do you see as the future and role of classical music in the 21st century? Are there any trends that we should be aware of? Are there any challenges coming our way? Um, and what do you see in this next generation as as you work with them so intimately um, on a regular basis, what can they bring to the world of classical music? That's a great question. Um, I have noticed a shift in students not wanting to necessarily learn the classical music. However, there's so much value in the, in the classics. What I have seen a shift toward is um, doing arrangements of popular music, even if I have the student who wanted to learn Staying Alive, by, uh, like the 19, whatever, 70s song that is. So I found the sheet music for him and, and we were working on it a little bit. And then um, I, I think there needs to be a balance because um, the music, you know, written a couple hundred years ago was written for that time period. And that's what was popular. And that's what made the musicians money. I mean, <laughs> um, I think it's very valuable. And I'm, I think a lot of today's music is a little bit watered down. However, they have made a lot of wonderful piano arrangements um, of some popular songs that you can get like on musicnotes.com, um, which were quite challenging and valuable and so I, I want to be progressive in thinking I don't want to forget forget the past but use the past to you know to kind of go forward because there's a lot of there's a lot of good music coming out nowadays I don't think we should discount that either I hope that sort of answered the question <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't think that's a question with a single correct answer. Everyone has a slightly different perspective, so I appreciate yours. Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their career and enter professional life? Um, I would say get involved in an organization or find a mentor right away. I, I did not. I just sort of was trying to figure it out on my own. And like I said earlier in the interview, I grew the most after I joined the organization. Um, and, you know, I would just say, don't take yourself so seriously. Try to, try to enjoy it. Music is enjoyable. And um, when you are enjoying it, it'll, it'll spill over into the children. It'll make them want to learn. And, they'll, you know, then you can build a relationship 
with your students and your and your students' families. Um, but um, I also would say I probably didn't charge enough to, at the beginning. I think we, as private teachers, we still have that old mindset where we're just doing this as a hobby, and it's not a hobby; it's a full-time job. Um, we need to take ourselves more seriously, and um, that's what I would. I mean, take your career seriously and know that you're a professional, but don't take like yourself so seriously and be so rigid in your lessons and allow, if you make a mistake, just kind of, just kind of laugh at it and then learn from it and, and keep going. You know, we can be our own worst critic. And I think it's important that we don't have such negative self-talk sometime and just, just enjoy because music is really fun. I mean, teaching music, I mean, I don't know what a better job would be. <laughs> so yeah, I really appreciate that advice because I have found that to be um, a significant help in my career in that developing a sense of humor and developing a sense of humor about myself and my own mistakes really takes out a lot of the stress and anxiety that I had earlier in my career. Now, when I make mistakes, I'm much better at laughing it off. So I want to dig a little deeper into this. How can someone develop that sense of humor about themselves? Um, because that that can be a struggle. You know, you sometimes you make a mistake and you're so deeply embarrassed that it they find it difficult to find the humor in that. Yeah, that's a great question. And then as private teachers, you know, we're very much alone. We don't have uh, a colleague to bounce things off of or a secretary or a, the financial advisor of the art, you know, we're our own CFOs, secretaries. So it's kind of like, it's you, 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 like all the responsibility falls on you. Um, I think that's another way, reason, you know, being part of the organization, I keep saying that, but um, you, you, you hear, oh, well, she, she had that same problem or, or, or he, oh yeah, he, he goofed up too. I guess just knowing that there's no perfect teacher. Um, and I would just say, just, just try it. Uh, when you make a mistake, if you're used to just like bashing yourself, just make that mental switch and say, instead of, oh, Amy, that was a terrible thing to do. No one's ever going to like you again. You, you're never going to recover from that. Instead of that kind of self-talk, say, oh man, that was... I've learned from that and, you know, just, just try to laugh at the situation. Just, just try. I mean, I tell my students when we prepare for recitals, I said, if you just smile, just the act of smiling makes you feel better. So if you can just uh, fake it till you make it, I guess, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. Oh, another thing I wanted to say to new teachers starting out, and I learned this from my college teacher, Rosalind Floyd, she always kept um, notes of her lessons and because you think when you're starting out oh you'll never forget what we talked about in the lesson but a week goes by and so much life has happened you do forget so you know and it, it doesn't take long you can do this while while you're teaching um, write the date that the lesson is taking place well you know what you've covered in theory what you've done at technique lesson performance and any little notes like I write down, forgot his books, 
and I write that in red. Anything like negative, I write in red. So, and then like the did not practice. Just take notes of it so you can have this track record. And like I write things down just like page numbers. Doesn't even have to be super duper specific, but just just that record keeping has been a lifesaver. Oh, and then with the student name, the age, the grade, and I have a student, she talks about her dog, Hank, all the time. So like any little important thing that the student mentions, oh, and then their birthday, um, I write that on there and I try to pay close attention. So when it's their birthday, if it's like the week of, or if it's that day, then I sing and play them happy birthday. And they just are like, oh, so um, just, just taking not like meticulous notes doesn't have to even be neat as long as only you're going to see it but you i would think that was an invaluable um tool that really helped me to stay organized from the beginning i appreciate that advice thank you amy thank you for your time and your insights and for sharing your life with us this was a really eye-opening and enlightening conversation so i really enjoyed it i wish you happy teaching and happy students Thank you.